0: Amen. mean, yes, January the 17th. Uh, what time does it start? 7 p.m. 7 p.m. And uh, just going to be a night of worship and just, you know, just let it flow. Amen. Like she told me the other day, let's get in the river and ride. That's okay. And uh, we've done those before, but we encourage you to come and, and take part in it. It's so good to see you on this first day of this new year and a new decade. And uh we're just we're excited about what God's doing and what he has in store for us this year. Um today I want to talk to you in the title we're just titling this, All God Needs Is Your Willingness. And uh this was uh, has been on my heart this week. Um I felt like God actually used Crawford uh, yesterday, I know he did, in uh to confirm that to me. Uh yesterday we, we uh had the memorial service for <clears throat> for our spiritual daughter that went to be with the Lord uh, way too early, uh, 42 years old. But uh, uh, we were in the back after the service yesterday and had food for everyone. And um, and he was saying some things to me about some things that was on his heart, something he was reading about the effect, you know, that it, that is on kids when they don't have a parents. And particularly he was talking about, you know, Daughters without fathers in their lives, and wanting to do something, you know, towards that to address that, and maybe in a teaching or something that we may do here shortly. And uh, and 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 Eve, I didn't tell him at the time, but you know, those these things was on my heart, and it felt. And I went home uh, after he and I talked, and and it was just a confirmation to me to talk about what I want to talk about today. And all all God really needs, you know, is just a willing heart. Just someone willing, and I was also touched by the fact we had so much food back there, and all, all the people that helped out. Love you guys. A pre, this church is awesome to uh, serve and to be there. And and but there was so much food left, and um, and I was so touched by Crawford and Becky to they loaded up that food and carried it to people that needed it. And you don't have to do that. You can go it's Saturday. I want to go do something on myself. But to take the time to do that. Uh, I want you to know that really touched my heart to see you do that, and uh, you know it's not like we could just you know we could take the food out and throw it in the dumpster and be done and go home and watch football, you know. But but just to watch you guys watch him go, you know, there's people that need this. There's there's people that this will bless, and to take time to do that, that, that that's really my message today. <laughs> it's just it's those type of things that that God wants us to do. Exodus chapter 35, in verse 4 and 5. Now, what happens here is God's told Moses to build the tabernacle, the Old Testament tabernacle, that mobile, moving tabernacle. And God told Moses to, to once he told him to build it, he told him to go to the people and receive an offering. And Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded, saying, take from among you an offering to the Lord, whoever is of a willing heart. Now, I'm not supposed to take an offering. That you want to give one, we'll, we, we, you know, we're not going to throw it back at you. But my point is to go after these words here. This is what stood out to me, that God, whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord, gold, silver, and bronze. Same chapter down in verse 21, he says, Then everyone came whose heart was stirred. See, that's the key. Their heart was stirred, their heart was moved, and everyone whose spirit was willing and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of the meeting for all of his services and the holy garments. Verse 22, they came both men and women. This is not just one. Men and women came. As many as had, here we go again. You see a pattern here? A willing heart. And they brought earrings and nose rings. See, nose rings didn't just start here lately. They were always back in. So they're, they're back in the, you know, if you if you got a ring in your nose, you want to give it, we'll take it. Hallelujah. Okay. But he, they took out their nose rings, rings and necklaces, jewelry of gold. Every man who made an offering of gold, he did it to the Lord. And we are not going to read other verses, but uh, what happens is finally Moses goes back to the people and he says, don't bring any more. And and he makes this statement, he said, we have more than enough. More than enough. When's the last time you ever heard that? Don't bring any more, we got more than enough. And it was for a specific cause, a specific need, a specific thing. We, you know, granted, we, we, we see that and understand that. But my, my point is this. If we just, if everyone in here has, if the people with a willing heart just do what they can, whatever that is, give what they can, do, whether it's financially or your time or your energy or loading up food and carrying something, if you just do what you do, there will be more than enough. God don't even need everybody. He just needs everybody that's got a willing heart. And, and, and what I'm talking about, that's got nothing to do with salvation. Okay, you're not, you can give your life and you're not going to earn your way to heaven. This ain't got nothing to do with that. But this is because we have been born again. And because God has changed our life, out of that we're going to display and be that ambassador for Christ. We're going to show forth his glory in that that he's called us to do. Amen. So I'm going to let you be seated. For the sake of time, we won't make you go around and hug everybody again. And I, and I want to do this as quickly as I can, but not butcher it up because of the time. But I, in, in Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah is an, is, is an Israelite. Although he, most scholars believe he was not born in Israel, he was part of the captivity that Jeremiah prophesied about—that they would be taken captive into Babylon—and and, uh, and that he was actually born there. Uh, so, but yet he knows he's an Israelite. He knows that he's he's a Hebrew, and uh, regardless of where he was born. And now uh, the Persian king has defeated Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, and they're they're so they're still captive. Uh, in a foreign land, Jerusalem has fallen to the enemy. Uh, and of course, Nebuchadnezzar came in there and just basically destroyed it. Uh, and in verse 2 of Nehemiah, it says that one of his brethren came, he and certain men of Judah, and he says, I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and and he asked them concerning Jerusalem. He wanted to, to hear, what, you know, how, how is it? And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept and I mourned certain days and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Now, now, I've, I've, I've told some of you this before and you've heard me say this. But listen to me, every one of us in this room, God has has created you in his likeness and image, and you bear an aspect of God that nobody else can properly display. You bear a facet of God that nobody, that's why that there's never been two of you. And one of the reasons that is, is not just so you'll be unique and special, which you are, but you, are, you and I are a reflection of the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. Man is the glory of God. So we, we display an aspect of God that cannot be displayed properly apart from us. Now, sin, like a broken mirror, marred that. But God, through Christ, put us back together. Can you say amen? And, and so I've told you that every one of us, God's got something that he wants us to do. He's called us in some area of, you can call it a burden or a calling or whatever, but everybody's got something to do. And we're not all called to do the same thing. Not everybody's called to stand before a church like what I'm doing and preach the gospel. And aren't you glad of that? <laughs> you know, I, I told my wife, and you know, she, our, our little precious spiritual daughter, she fought cancer for three years. And, and we, we've known her for over 20, loved, loved her. You know, she, she's just really like one of my kids. And, uh, but she had a long time to think about her, her death. And she had a long time to plan it. And so she did. She was a planner. right? I mean, she planned everything. And in her own handwriting, she wrote everything down just like how she wanted to do it. And she wanted my wife to handle it. And I just, I've watched my wife through this whole process. And she had to contact people from all over the country that Vicki knew and people from California. And we, in fact, one of the guys that spoke yesterday, some of you may or may not know that are here. Uh, Josh that spoke, he's a pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers. And he is a tall man, and then you stand him out on the mound. I'd hate to be standing there with a stick trying to hit what he throws up there. You know what I'm saying? But he was dear friends with Vicky as well, and she just met people all over the, all over the world, and she lived her life, in, in a in a, in a powerful way. But, you know, I I told my wife yesterday. I said, you know, and I'm serious. I said, man, I said I just watched you through this whole process, and man, you start dealing with people and families and. You know, and, you know, we had people say, well, you know, she would have wanted this. No, we got down what she wanted. <laughs> you know, people always do that. If you, if you uh, This is what they would have wanted. No, they didn't. They didn't want that. Uh, they, you know, they wanted what they wrote down. That's what they wanted. And so she had to hold the line, even though they said, well, this is, I want, mm-mm. This, this is what she wanted. This is what we're going to do. And I just told her yesterday afternoon, I said, baby, you are amazing. I mean, you just, I said, you know, you've gotten tougher in your older age here. You. just hold the fort, you know, I mean, just amazing, and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, I was just bragging on her, and she said, well, I couldn't, I couldn't, no way do what, you know, you got her and talk in front of people, and uh, she, you know, she would, there's not enough money in here to pay her to do that, (laughs) she just won't do it, so save your prophecies about prophesying to her about preaching, because she ain't going to do it, Uh, you know, and she, we can believe that we've got a lot of that over the years, just in fact of that she's a preacher's wife. You know, well, you're supposed, you know, she's not supposed to. She's supposed to do what she's doing. And we're all called differently is my point. We're all called with different gifts, talents, abilities, and graces from God to do what it's called us to do. And all God really needs is your willingness to use your willingness. For you to be willing to do whatever it is, that God's put in your heart that if you'll just admit it, you want to do anyway. Deep down, you may be afraid to do it. Uh, you may be uh, fearful of doing it. But here in Nehemiah, so a clue to your calling is when you see or an, injust, an injustice. In other words, whatever makes you cry, that's your call. Well, I need to rephrase that. Now, I've seen a lot of people brought to tears by a situation, but they were not brought to action. Now you can watch something on TV in a commercial about starving kids and be sad and cry, but it won't it don't bring you to action to do anything about it. And there's nothing in anything that I want to say today that has any kind of condemnation or guilt. So just don't don't even entertain that. That's not my that's not got nothing to do with anything I'm trying to tell you. All I'm trying to say to you is God, God There's things that will make you cry, that will move you to compassion. Sympathy just goes, oh, that's bad. But compassion says, I want to do something about it. There's a verse in the King James Version of the Bible in the book of Jude that says that they they were moved with compassion and made a difference. When Jesus saw the multitude like sheep without a shepherd, it says he was moved with compassion. And then he started doing something about it. So we need to do more than just, well, i just pray about it? No, we'll pray about it, and I'm, that's important. Nehemiah, if you read the whole book of Nehemiah, it's an awesome leadership book because Nehemiah faced everything that anybody in lead, any kind of leadership faces. Criticism from without and from within, resist distractions, all kind of problems, but he just kept going forward with the mission that God called him. Now, so whatever makes you cry, that's a clue to your call. The other thing, whatever makes you angry, and there is a good kind of anger Bible said, don't say be angry. It just says be angry and then don't sin about it. So you can be angry over an abortion clinic, but you don't go bomb the place. You got me? And the reason they did it because that's wrong anger. So Moses saw an Egyptian beating up on a Hebrew. Now deep in his heart, he was called as a deliverer of the Hebrews from a bondage. And that was his call. Whether he understood it at this point or not, I don't, I don't know. But he sure displayed it. And so he sees this Egyptian beating up on a Hebrew and it makes him angry. Well, he didn't, he didn't handle his anger properly, and he murders the Egyptian and buries him in the sand. Now, that causes him to be found out about, and then he gets afraid, and he flees Egypt, and he, he leaves for 40 years. Now, the prophets had prophesied that Israel would be in, in Egypt for 400 years. Now, listen to me on this. They were actually in Egypt in bondage for 430 years. Was the prophet wrong? No, he revealed God's plan. They were to be there 400 years, but Moses messed it up by murdering an Egyptian and then fleeing. And so God has to go out to the backside of the desert, say, and get a bush to burn and not burn up and to get his attention and talk to him from a bush. Now, that bush that was burning was really symbolic of Israel. Although they have burned, they have not been eliminated. Okay? But I'm saying it delayed really the timing of things. And a lot of times we do that. We, we mess stuff up, and it delays what God really wanted to happen. And it, but it's still going to happen. It just delayed it. God told that first group of children of Israel, uh, you know, cross the Jordan, go into promised land, possess the land. They, they, they said, no, there's too many giants there. So they, they go out in circle in the desert for 38 years, for 40 years, for 40 years. For 40 years. But that that first generation was well able to take the land, as Joshua and Caleb had encouraged them. But they just didn't obey God. They got afraid by what they saw. Everything you can see is the birthplace of unbelief. Now, diminished faith being exercised, you can fix that. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word, by maturity. But unbelief, you can't fix unbelief. You have to repent of that, and that means to change your mind about what you believe in because you're unbelieving something that you should believe in. That's what unbelief is. So whatever, what is it that makes you angry? What injustice? What, what, is, what is it that, that bothers you? So when Crawford said that to me yesterday, we were talking, and it got me thinking. And I said, well, I just go home, and I just want to think about this a little more. And, and I just pulled up world hunger, you know. And it said 952 million people are hungry every day in this world. 952 million. And it said, and I was shocked by this, it says 16,000 children, 16,000 children die every day due to a hunger-related cause. 16,000 are dying every day. And then this, this, this is something that really I didn't, I didn't expect to, to find out. It said, you know, I, you think about kids in foster care. And thank God for foster parents and people that, that, that sincerely and earnestly love these children and want to see them have a home. And, and some of the things that, that he and I were talking about, that in other words, when daughters don't have the influence of a loving father, then sometimes that they do, they end up seeking that attraction or affection or whatever from men in very wrong ways. And uh, but, it, but I was kind of shocked by this statistic that over 50, this is America now, over 50% of kids that are in our foster care systems are there because of poverty of their parents. So over half of the kids that are in foster care, I thought they were all there because their parents on drugs or this and that. or But they're there by poverty, and, and you go, well, so the poverty might be caused by drugs. Well, it, it could be, but I'm just telling you what the statistics said. So there's kids that are in foster care that if their parents just had enough food clothing, and shelter for them, they could stay with their parents and the families wouldn't be separated. And and you may be going, well, you know, what can I do about that? That's, that's, That's exactly what I'm asking. What can you do about that? Now, I also read that there's more than two and a half billion professing Jesus Christians on this planet right now. And they said there's well more than 500 million congregations. Now, of the six plus billion on the planet, a third of that is Christians. So we're not outnumbered. Just if everybody with a willing heart would do what they can do, that would be more than enough. And you wouldn't have to depend on the government or any other entity to handle it. And again, there's nothing in my heart to try to make you feel bad about this. I know this is a little bit different. This is not your little, it's a little bit different. But uh, there's there's over 350 verses in the Bible admonishing us to take care of the poor. Must be important to God. Psalm 9 and 18 says, For the needy shall not always be forgotten the needy. I'll never forget, Ivory told me in an elders meeting about our food ministry. This church gives away so much food and we're so thankful to be able to do that. But the only way we're able to do that is because you guys give because we buy that food. Nobody gives it to us. We purchase the food from Second Harvest and we give the food away every Tuesday. And we recognize Charles and Katrina and the whole food ministry team. And if you're new to Grace Point and you want to get involved, see, it's one thing to hand somebody money for something, but you don't ever see the faces of the people. But I'll tell you something that is different. If you ever go back there and see them people in line, or you ever look at their faces, or you ever look at the cars they pull up in, or if if you ever pray with one person or see their face, it's different than just handing money to Charles and never seeing the people. And I don't mean that in a guilty way. I just mean it's different. I, I remember when we went to to the Yucatan Peninsula, and uh, we flew into uh, where you fly into where all the tourists go uh, in Mexico. Thank you. Is Howard the only one paying attention to me this morning? <laughs> Cancun, and then you get in what they call a combi, which is a little van. And you drive four hours into the interior, really, of the jungle. And um, and, and and you see. And, and we and we went into places where, I mean, no kidding aside. It's, it's like your classic you envision mission trip. Dirt floor, thatch roof huts with hammocks hanging. That's what they sleep in to keep the snakes off of them. You know what I'm saying? And we got all these kids. And we were going to these villages and we—it and ain't like they had a bulletin that we were coming. And we have this pastor down there, Pastor Alfredo, and uh, he's a Mayan Indian, and, and we're going into the Mayan people. And so, and, and so when we went in there, I'm just saying, you know, we went in there, and and so the men are out trying to kill something to eat, and, and you know, doing their thing, you know, trying to farm, or you know, their whole deal is, you know, surviving every day. So we go in there, and but once our vans pull up and we get out, then people start coming out of their huts and stuff. And before long, in just a little bit, you'll have a crowd. And it's mostly women and children. And then there'll be some men, and the older men will come. And, they're the, and they'll listen to you. And one of the first things we did is we started giving candy to these kids. And I was excited about that, you know, to give them candy. But the, the missionary guy leading us told us, you know, to give each kid, you know, like two or three pieces. Well, when I saw their faces, man, I am such a wimp. Uh, I just started reaching in the bag and giving handfuls. I taught them how to hold up their shirt and make a <laughs> pouch, you know, and so they could care more. And uh, I just started doing that. And the mission leader come over and tapped me, you know, once the kid's kind of clear. And he, said, and he said, Pastor, he said, I appreciate your heart and all but if you keep giving away candy like that, we're not going to have enough for the next village. He said, you're going to have to do like we said. And I'm sitting there, tears just rolling down my face. You know, I, want to, I just want to give them everything. And then the thing that touched my heart the most is I didn't see any of the kids unwrap the candy and start eating it. And I was shocked by that. And I asked the interpreter, why are they not eating the candy? He said, because they're saving it until their parents come home from work and they will all share this candy together tonight. <laughs> I'm, crying. I'm crying even worse now. And he said, come here, Pastor, I want to show you something. And so we went into one of the huts, into the and it's literally bamboo-type stuff. And he said, I want you to see something. And he led me in there, and he said, look, and in the cracks between the bamboo was r- candy wrappers stuck in there, not for insulation, but to remember the day that someone gave them that candy. And they put it on their, in their hut to mem- remember. You don't think that wasted me, man. There's something about when you touch a need. I don't care if it's you volunteering, you know, with, with the, you know, wh- whatever the ministry is. Uh, it, it just it just changes you, and, and 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 listen, God hadn't called all of you to do the same thing. Uh, he, had, he had, you know. I, I see pastors that go one time. I I got Pastor Dale Carver, this great friend of mine, and uh, uh, I preached for him a while back outside of Atlanta, in uh, Carrollton, and uh, I remember this guy kept wanting me to come to the uh, like to Vietnam and, and Cambodia and those areas to preach. Way, way back there, many years ago. And I just didn't have no, that just wasn't my call. And, but he just wouldn't leave me alone. You know? Yeah, we, you know, we want you to go. And I said, listen, there's a guy that's mentioned to me about wanting to go on the mission field. I said, I'll hook you up with him and, and maybe he'll go. And Pastor Dale was in my network. Pastor Dale went, and he's been going ever since. And he hadn't stopped. That's been about 20 years of it or more. And he loves it. He, he told me, he said, man, I just love the smell of an airport, just how it smells makes me nauseated to know I'm going to get on a plane. But it, he, he's excited about it. We're not all called to do the same thing. So you don't have to feel guilty because you don't do everything everybody else is doing. That's not the point of my message. All I'm trying to awaken in you is that you do that thing that God's put in you, whatever that is, because there's something that God's called you to do. And, and there's something that God's called you to do. Listen, no, no kidding aside, that will make a difference in this world. And it will make a difference in the lives of people. I, I'm I'm amazed, you know. I told my wife, you know, and and so a lot of you know that I'm I'm working with my son and all, with uh, and I'm just I'm you know I'm a Medicare specialist. How about that? And, uh, and that's all I do. And that's all I focus on. And uh, and and so, but I go into a lot of the elderly people. Of course, you got to be 65. I, I can't help you, but I, you know, but I go into these homes. And I go into a lot of 70- and 80-year-olds, and and, and, and and people are suffering, man. They are, I told my wife, I wish I was a billionaire. I, you know, i just I just fix every, every home I'd go in. I mean, just, you just deplorable living conditions. Deciding whether they're going to eat food or take medicine. No kidding aside. And I don't mean like one home out of 100. I mean like 90 homes out of 100. They're right there, and they're in our towns. They're in our communities, you know, and and is you, you just with everybody with a willing heart, you just do what God's called you to do, what 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 it, what whatever that is, and 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 you make that difference, and it may be, it may be your time. See now, one of the things we've done in in in, in uh, you know, sometimes people have waited for the church to get their ministry started for them and then you can come and No, no, I'm not talking about that. And it may very well turn into something that the, the church would, would do. But we, we underestimate the little promptings that we feel in our heart. I remember many years ago, we had a, I had a funeral to preach. The funeral services was actually going to be on, on a Monday uh, morning. This lady had put me in her will. Uh, to preach her funeral when she died. And I, I, when I was an evangelist, this, this lady, uh, you know, God healed her under our ministry and uh, uh, just amazing things she did there. And I, I'm, I'm tempted to tell that miracle, but I'll, I'll just leave that one. But the point is I went over to Nashville, Georgia on a Sunday afternoon after I would preached that morning. We went to eat lunch and then we, we met the family at the funeral home around 2 o'clock. And just greeted them and, and then the service was going to be the next morning but the viewing was that afternoon okay you with me and it's important that I tell you all this not because I think of anything but this is just a little example of how God those a heart willing just be willing to obey the Lord the promptings and so on my way walking out of the funeral home now I'm just telling you the way I'm thinking that you know when I had the suit on that day and of course the tie and all that and which I don't like all that but I'll do it you know and stuff like that, but I was ready to, I look forward to getting home, getting out of the church clothes, and just relaxing. We didn't have Sunday night service, you know, just to relax and chill out with the family. And I felt like, and, and so let me, let me back up and say this, I had a church up in Lenox, still, still a great church today. Uh, Jimmy Henson, I believe, is still probably the pastor of Lenox Christian Fellowship is the name of the church. Now, when I was an evangelist, I preached for that pastor and that church every month without fail I was there every month, 12 months of the year. This is, there's no exaggeration is. So in other words, uh, for three years straight. So when I was an itinerant evangelist, I, one of my stops every month was this church, and I would preach Sunday morning and Sunday night for this pastor. So how many knows I got close to that pastor and very close to those people because I was a regular person they saw. And so me and that pastor was very close until... <laughs> God called me to start a church in that same county. And that ended the relationship. Now, God's restored it since then, but at that moment it ended that because, in fact, the pastor, I love him, but he drove to my house to tell me that I was missing God by starting a church, you know, that I was to, put, to stay an evangelist. Well, I appreciate the input, but somebody higher up than you told me to do this. And so now years later, God you know, restored that. But this is my point. It's during that time where the relationship is still not restored. Now, I'm not mad with him. I, I went and met with him a subsequent time, he and his wife, and I tried to get him to understand that God's called me to start this church called Cornerstone, and, and I still love you the same. But I never got invited back to preach ever again. And so I'm walking to my car from the funeral home. Are you all tracking with me? And I heard the Lord say to me, not in an audible voice, but I had this, this strong prompting that I felt was him. And he said, go to Lentz Christian Fellowship tonight. I hadn't been there in years. I didn't think I'd be welcome anyway. Go to Lentz Christian Fellowship. It was, I told my wife, I said, now, I believe the Lord is speaking to me to go to Lentz Christian Fellowship tonight. I didn't want to go back to church on Sunday night. If I did, I'd have my own church on Sunday night. And we got home, and I said, well, when I get home, I just want to pray about it. I said, but don't take your church dress and all off, you know, because we might just be loading right back up heading out. And uh, so I went to prayer, you know, and I prayed. And uh, I prayed about it, and and the Lord didn't say anything. Does he do y'all like that? You know why he's not saying anything? Because he's already said something. And so I prayed and, you know, I wanted a sign. Give me a sign. Let the phone ring twice and hang up and I'll notice you or whatever. No signs, no, no further communication from God. And now I know deep down that if I don't go, I'm going to miss something. If I do go, I don't know what it means and so, but I'm too in a good. I'm too fearful to miss what God could be up to. And my flesh is lazy and wants to take my clothes off and watch TV. But my spirit wants to go and see what God's up to. Now here, I went ahead and kind of played a video in my mind of what God was probably going to be up to. I thought that I'm going to walk in up there. And God's going to restore the relationship. The pastor might hug me and cry. He might even ask me to preach or something. The Holy Ghost fire fall. He ain't going to tell him what God's up to him. Yeah. But I didn't feel like just walking in on the guy. I said, I need to call him and ask him, can I come? Because I didn't want to offend him because that's his house. I want to be welcomed. So I called him. And I said, Pastor Jimmy, this this Brother Dale. I, I just feel like I you know, wanted to be in service with you tonight. I just wanted to make sure that would be okay. He said, well, of course you could come be up here. He said, now, of course, we've had a thunderstorm come through. We don't have no electricity right now. Power's out. But he said, I trust maybe by church time they'll have it back on. So that almost gave me an excuse not to go, well, their power's out. I mean, my God. <laughs> so, uh, so I hung up, didn't feel excited. He didn't seem like real thrilled. You know, we didn't have a no big, long conversation. He said, well, you can come. So anyway, we went. Me and wife walked in. Oh yeah. When I asked him about coming, he said, "Well, you can come tonight." But he said, "Now we got a missionary coming." But I just wanted you to be aware of that. It won't be a normal service. That's okay. And that made me think. Well, I won't. I, I won't go. I mean, he's already. That's it, my plan. Ain't, it don't look like God's. You know, well, I don't understand all this. So I go there. And I go to the service. I go in and sit on one of the pews. And then as the service progresses, Pastor Jimmy comes to the pulpit to transit. He said, Well, it's good to have Brother and Sister Young with us tonight. And, uh, you know, I thought, Well, here, God's, you know, here we go. And he said, Brother Dale, why don't you just stand up and greet the people and say something? You ever stood up and tried to say something awesome and it just run down your chin, (laughs) onto your shirt? (laughs) That was one of those moments. Because. There was no unction from the Lord for me to say anything. So I tried to say something really profound, encouraging, and I felt like it just rolled right off my chin and slobbered on my shirt. And I remember sitting down going, stupid, 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 stupid. You're so stupid. I hate you. I did. I'm serious. And I was sitting there like, man, this is a bust. I must have missed this a mile. I should have been at the house watching football, man. And so service goes on. They go through all their stuff. And then they introduce this little lady, short lady. Uh, her name was Maria Mendeva from Bulgaria. And so I'm sitting there. I've been, in, you've been, I've been doing this a long time. I've been in a lot of services with a lot of missionaries visiting in different places. When she come to the pulpit and stood behind it at that church, I'm sitting out there. The Spirit of the Lord came strong on me. And I don't know if you understand that, but God's manifested presence, just like a jacket, went on. I felt I, everything in me went to attention. And I heard that same voice that said, Go to Linux Christian Fellowship. God says, This is why I brought you. Help her. This is why I brought you. Help her. I could, it was just overwhelming. I knew then why I was there. And I had, even though God said help her, I knew what he meant. He meant to help her. He meant to help her financially. Because I was in a position as a pastor in our church to help her. So I went to, after the service, I met uh, a couple from Atlanta called the Cornets, Tim and Betty Cornett, And they were the people that had won her to the Lord in Bulgaria. And I... I, I, uh, I went to them and I said, uh, "I want to have this lady to come to my church and to speak. I want to I want to be able to help her and help her ministry in any way that we can." He said, "Brother Young, we'd love to do that, but he said we're we, she's got next Sunday booked and solid, and then she's flying out Monday, so that you know won't be any opportunity this trip. But uh, we we surely want you to help us." <laughs> You know, we'll take your money. We want you to help us. But it just won't be this trip because she's, she's booked solid. She's going to be flying back. And, uh, and they lived in Atlanta, so she was staying in Atlanta with them. I, I really felt like the Lord said that she was supposed to be at our church. But I couldn't say that. I said, well, here's my card. If something happens that y'all get a cancellation, just call me now and y'all can come. He said, okay. Guess what happened? She got a cancellation. So he, he called me right at the end of the week. On Thursday, he said, We can be there Sunday morning. He said, uh, The church canceled. We were supposed to be at. I said, Well, y'all come on. When that lady walked behind my pulpit at Sparks, Pastor Keith would have been my wife. When she went by, it, it was just a, I don't know. It, it wasn't because she said nothing powerful. She, she's such, anyway, she's just such a soft spoken little sweet lady. And she just spoke about, you know, what God had called her to do. And our people. Gave over $20,000 to her. Is that right, Keith? That day. Over $20,000. They don't normally get $20,000 when they go. And that's not because we had some Mr. Big Bucks that dropped in a big pile. It's because all of our people poured in. Because, now let me tell you about Maria, and I'll be done. Her daddy was killed in the Chernova. Uh, nuclear uh, explosion. You may have to Google all that this afternoon while you're trying to get your Sunday nap. But he was killed in that. He was a Bulgarian general under the control of the USSR back in those days. This is before the wall came down. Okay? So she was raised in communism, and Bulgaria was, was a communist, uh, part of the communist USSR uh, group. And... Uh, she was very dejected by all the things that communism promised her and her family, and it, it, they didn't see it, and rationing of food and all those kind of things. And so Tim and Betty Cornett from Atlanta, Georgia, went to Bulgaria and put up a tent or, or some type of outreach and holding revivals, as they called it. And this little lady from Bulgaria slipped in the back of that meeting. Her name was Maria. She was a communist, and she got born again. She got born again. Her husband didn't go along with everything. he didn't retain the relationship, but she just kept on, and God called her to start helping people. and she started preaching and teaching the gospel. and she had, she started in her home, and, and, then, and then what I didn't know is here's a little lady. That, let me tell you this, and it doesn't matter theologically, but she is an apostle if I've ever seen one. I mean, doing apostolic work. And I mentioned one time to her that she might be an apostle and she kind of almost rebuked me because her theology didn't make room for women. She was just doing what God called her. Now, what I did not know was God had called her to build a Bible institute to train leaders. And so uh, what we gave to her that Sunday greatly helped get that going. But before she left Bulgaria, people gathered around her to pray for her. One of the people prophetically spoke to her and says, Thus saith the Lord, For I, I shall, you shall meet a man who will help thee do that that I have called thee to do. And all that trip she had been waiting to meet that man and had not met him. And that last pastor canceled, and she came to Sparks. And when she came to that church, she said, "I now have met that man." And God connected Maria and us. And then we gave another twenty plus thirty thousand dollars, and j- just people being willing. Now, one—I don't mean any offense in this, and I know this goes out and it hurts, it hampers my storytelling because I don't want people to get their feelings hurt by the truth of what I'm saying. But I had the precious couple come one time without her, without Maria, and they tried to raise money. They got about $800. They tried to say, if you give a $1,000, we will give you this painting. It just don't work. It didn't work in my church. But Maria could come and give them nothing, and they'd give $1,000. They'd just, they'd just throw money at her, just throw money. Because of that presence that she carried and the call that was on her life. Now, what, l- l- listen to me. I don't know who I'm talking to and who, what God's called you to do. And you might be sitting there trying to figure out how, when, where. I ain't got no money. Can't do this. Can't do that. How am I going to? You ain't got to do none of that. Because your daddy owns the cattle of a thousand hills and all the hills that they own. <laughs> now, now l- listen to me. Seriously, listen to me. If God, now either what I just told you is true or just a fabricated story, and It's truth. God would speak to a little old boy like me walking through the parking lot from a funeral home in Nashville, Georgia, and tell me to go to a church that I didn't even feel welcomed in, but because I was willing to obey that slight prompting without knowing what was going to happen, about messed it up by staying home, but I went there. God connected me with Maria Mendeva, and for many years, we give thousands of dollars, and because and, 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 and God told me to help her, I said, Maria, I want to know what it takes for you to live. I want to I know what you live off of. She gave me the figure. It's, it's not nothing compared to what it takes us. I think it was $900 a month. So I said, our church, we're going to do that from now on. We got you, girl. So our church paid her livelihood from then on for many years. She said she went and took that money that our church gave her. And I, I'm, there's no bragging in this. If you're just willing, tremendous things can happen. And, and she built that two-story, amazing, huge, this is almost as long as this intersection. two-stories, Bible Institute. And she said, uh, Pastor, I want you to come to Bulgaria and to dedicate the Bible Institute. I'm like, Oh God, no! I gotta fly. <laughs> you know what I said? Bless God. I, God's called me to go, and I'm going. And I ain't taking no drama. Mean glory to God. <laughs> Man, that flight all the way across that big pond called the North Atlantic got rough. We flew into Switzerland, to Zurich. I ran to the men's restroom. When I got in there, men was all in there. I went to a stall and threw up my shoes. I, I don't throw up quietly. My wife, she gets sick, that, she goes, you don't even hear her. Man, that ain't throwing up. When I throw up, it's coming from way down under. I'm talking about Europe, Buick, I'm talking all, of, all the models. I'm coming from deep. When I, when I came out of that stall, there was not one human in that restroom in Zurich Airport. I'm serious, not one. Jill said they were coming out of there like that place was on fire. <laughs> Them men were running out of there. Whew. And I'm trying to figure why God didn't help a brother out. I told a prophet that from England one time. I said, I got a question for you. I said, I did this in faith and did all this. And I said, I still got sick. I said, Explain that to me. I said, You're supposed to be a prophet. He <laughs> said he said, You outrun your faith. I said, What do you mean I outrun my faith? He said, You just jumped beyond what your faith level is. He said, Just cause you don't take dramamine, that don't mean you got faith. He said, You should have took a dramamine, probably two. And went on on your mission trip. I said, well, that's a great prophecy. Thanks. I, mean, I can figure that out myself. But, you don't see, we get too spiritual. We try to figure. Well, we went on to Bulgaria. We, we did all those things that we got to dedicate that building. But it all started with just a little problem. So I got so many of these stories. That's one I don't know if I've ever even told you. But, and it don't make me great. I, I about fumbled the ball. Moses fumbled it because he didn't channel his anger properly but I'm asking you to do more than in 2020. I felt like God said last Sunday, you know, that 2019 was a strengthening year. He had strengthened so many of us. But now this is the year to use that strength. This is a time to use that strength. Now, have you ever prayed a prayer like this and say, God, what injustice have you called me to address with my life? Many of you have never said that to God. Now, doing what I'm saying, you're going to, have to kind of, you're going to have to kind of chill yourself out a little bit. You understand what I'm saying? You're going to have to listen. But if you'll just live your life, and I know you've got to make a living. I'm doing the same. You're out there blowing, going, doing. I understand all that. But in that, if you'll just say, God, you know, listen, guys, you know, for long, just like Vicky left here. And, it is. But you know, I'm going to leave here. Ain't taking nothing with me. You ain't gonna carry nothing with you. Now I do see a lot of people. They're living like, and they're working like, and they're going after stuff like they're gonna get to keep it. <laughs> now I'm all for enjoying. You know, I mean, money's like toilet paper. I've had it and not had it. I'd rather have it. You know what I'm saying? I can't believe he said that. I know. I know. I'm a working. I'm a working in progress. But I'm real. Might not like it, but you, this is it. And so, you know, money don't buy happiness. It sure makes you feel better, though. <laughs> I've been without it, and I've had, you know, it, I, I, it's hard not to be happy. I mean, it makes me happy. You know, but I understand what they mean by that. I hear people, I told you people, I had people, you know, here a while back in the fall, well, I'm believing 2020, you know, it's going to be my breakthrough year. Well, you've got to get off the couch and get a J-O-B then. You just need to break through that couch if your first breakthrough, and go apply for a jobby job. I, and I don't mean that mean, but I've pastored so many people that were so spiritual waiting on God, you know, to roll a brinks truck over in your front lawn and say, oh, we don't want to pick it up, just keep it. I mean, you know, God blesses your endeavors. God blesses you when you take a step out. This is a year that I believe many people should get out of the boat. You need to step out of the boat because God gives you one word. And I said, Lord, now I'm sure this is you or not. If it is you, if it is, bid me to come to you. He said, come. Did Peter walk on water? Absolutely not. You can't walk on water. I don't know if you've tried it. You can't do it. Water will not hold you up. What Peter walked on then, the word. The word is what sustained him. The word is what kept him. And the word is what brought him to the word who is Jesus. So, all you need from God is just one thing. Now, let me say this. The, call, the need is your call. Some of you are waiting on Gabriel like I used to do, but to beam down in your you know, bedroom and hand you a Holy Ghost fax. The need is the call until you get the call. Lady came to my church up at Sparks when I was pastoring there. And I, a lot of times I would say, well, what brings you? She wanted to join our church immediately. You know, then people always terrify me, really. I mean, date me a while before you marry me, okay? Uh, but she said, I want to join the church. And I said, well, where are you? You know, I used to go to this, this church. And I, said, I carried my, my daughter into that nursery, and I dropped my baby off and uh, in there, and I came back to get my child. And it, it, my child was crawling around on the carpet and eating cookies off the floor, like a pigsty in there. I, I got my baby out. I left that church. I ain't going back to that church no more. It was just one of them days, too, you know, when I was hearing all that. come in, been pastoring. While I looked at her, I said, ma'am, do you know how to run a vacuum cleaner? Yes. I said, well, why didn't you run a vacuum cleaner? See, you, you caught that church right in a moment where somebody dropped a cookie on. You don't know what preceded all that. You, you got a picture in your mind like they letting them graze off the floor. But you just happened to catch it when chaos was going on. And what you should have done is come in there saying, can I help? Where do you keep the, 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 the vacuum? And, and let me help out here. No, what you did, snatch up, get offended, get mad, go tell everybody and post it on Facebook how bad their nursery service is. And I'd give them zero stars if it was possible. People write all that stuff. Now, I'm more confused than ever to buy any product to go to any restaurant because you got all these good posts and then you got the terrible posts. And you don't know which one to believe. Because no matter which restaurant, they'll have some with, no, with one star and says, Worst place I've ever been to. And you'll have some with five stars and says, Best food I've ever had in my life. And you've got to decide who you're going to believe. And then you will follow suit based on what you believe. Well, I ain't going to that restaurant because you believe that person. You ain't even met them. All you believe, they type something. There's people that give me a bad post today because of what I said a while ago about money and toilet paper. I was so offended by that pastor. Way he Well, hang around, you I got more coming. (laughs) (laughs) But you remembered it. Listen, no condemnation. This has got nothing to do with God loving you. God loves you. Your sins are forgiven. I I won't name the churches because I don't want to bring any dis... But I heard a pastor say, and it wasn't Joel Osteen's church, okay, so we'll just take that one off page because when I say mega church, everybody thinks it. But it was a large, very, very large church, very close to, to that. But the pastor of that church said this. said I had a visiting guy come to my church the other day, a speaker, visiting speaker. And he spoke about the hurts of fathers, natural fathers. And many of us can't relate to our heavenly father because the absence of or the abuse of a natural father has really tainted that view of our heavenly father. And he said, the guy gave an altar call and he said, I want, to, I want everybody in this church who hates their father to come to the altar today. Hates their father, their natural father. Whether they were living or dead. If you hate your natural father, I want you to come to the altar. I want to pray over you. The pastor said he was sitting there and just, oh, God, nobody's going to come to such an altar call. He said it's the largest altar call in the history of his church of people come to the altar. He said, I learned something that day. People got a lot of problems with their parents, their fathers, and their mothers. And if you're not careful, it will taint you to trusting in your heavenly father. I remember Mark Rutland had a young lady come to one of the meetings when that we were, you know, I had him in my church years ago, and a young lady came to the altar and she laid her head on the altar, and she he was praying for her. He said, and and uh, and he, he was saying, you know, Father, and he was praying, said using the word Father. And, and she wasn't responding to anything, and he just asked her. He said, "Young lady, you know, do you not understand? Look at me. What you know?" So he was con- conversing with her, and she. And this is her response to Mark Rother She said, "I've I've had about all the fathering I can stand," and she had been physically abused by her father, so she was having trouble relating to his prayer about a loving father, because that's all she did. Listen, God loves you. God loves you. And what I'm talking about today has got nothing to do with you earning anything because you don't have to earn and cannot earn anything from God. A young lady that day said she had, she had lit, done some very, in her view, very, very sinful things. Uh, very, very sinful things. And, and for six months, she said she just kept coming to the altar and, 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 and she just always asking God to forgive her. And, and I hope now at Grace Point you know that's not the case God's already forgiven you. His blood is why forgive you, not because you cried a lot. And, and she said she heard the Lord after her doing this for about six months say, Are you done yet? Are you done yet? And she said she knew it was that prayer. She said, Yeah, but I just want you to know how sorry I am for doing that. He said, You are forgiven. Move on. You can get bogged down in that stuff. And I'm asking you today, and I know this is a little different maybe, but I I know this is God. There's no telling what can happen if you would just step out of the boat. Those little promptings from the Spirit, those things that, that God's put in you, the injustices that make you cry, but let it move you more than just to tears, but let it move you to action. It can be something so simple. I mean, there can be a family that you know. I mean, you don't. You don't have to look too far. Probably, there can be a family that you know. I, I see widows in these houses in these cities I go in. If somebody just mowed their yards, what what a blessing that would be! What what a blessing that would be just to mow the yards once a month. Because you know, I had one lady tell me she can't afford to pay. Any, she said, "You know what? They call charge me to to mow my yards." She's living off of of. Uh, and, uh, she told me $430 a month is her Social Security check. You think she can pay somebody $60 to mow her lawn? No way. Her husband's dead. Her health don't allow it. She walks with a walker, and her yards were knee high. Man, if that was in our city in Valle Asta, I'd be done found somebody to mow them yards, or I know how to load up my own lawnmower. And that don't make me nothing. You say, well, it, well you know, I'm not talking about going into some big ministry. I'm just talking about doing whatever it is that you come across in your life to make a difference in those people. It can be something that simple. It can be you know somebody is struggling for their food or going through a tough time. Maybe the husband got But if you just went and bought groceries, now I understand you can call Publix or whoever this deal is, and they'll bring, I know you can't come my daughter gets get some. They bring the groceries to your house. For long, you ain't never going to get out your underwear. You can just sit at home and do everything. Bring your food, bring your groceries. You can just stay in there and lock yourself in, never leave the house. But listen, what about if you just snuck up to somebody's house, you know, and just put a couple of sacks of groceries on the porch? I want to ask you this. If you did that to somebody that really was in need, I wonder if those people inside that house, once they found those two sacks of groceries, whatever it is, I wonder if they would perceive that as a miracle from the Lord. I bet they would, and I bet they'd give God all the praise and glory for it, and you would be an absolute example of his grace and goodness and mercy, and you don't have to stand around, you don't have to say on Facebook, I'm dropping groceries off at this house, I hope you don't do that, I hope you don't make merchandise of that, but, but I don't know, man, you, you are precious people, and God's called you to do all kind of stuff. And what I run into, you won't run into. And what you run into, I won't run into. Now, it may develop into a whole ministry. I know that where Vicki Smith, I guess I got her on my heart so much. But Vicki, uh, she worked for me at the church way back 20 years ago. We, we had the school go on and stuff. I mean, just, just like that, one, one Monday, I, the, 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 I had like three calls from parents in my church they were going through just horrendous problems with their children because not every child would work. In other words, the public school system, and there's no, there's no, there's no bashing here. My grandbabies are in the public land school system. I think it's a wonderful system. But I'm just saying not every kid is a fit to every situation. And these particular kids in my church were not a fit to the public school system. And it wasn't just because of that, but God, God just dropped in my heart to start a Christian school. And it was on Monday, and, and when I got that last call, I knew that last call came about 9 o'clock that night, and it was one of my elders and about his daughter. And he said, Pastor, what are we going to do? And I, I immediately said, I said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to start a school for her and every other kid like your daughter that's having difficulties. And I called for an emergency elder meeting, if there's such a thing, the next night, and I told them, you know, we're going to start an academy, start a school. And we did. And, and, and there's such miracles because once I just took a step, then God provided. We bought a property. That property now is the winery in Sparks up there on that interstate. But that we used to own that. We owned that. Ten and a half acres, two-story building. I remember when I met with the lady that we was going to buy it from, uh, I, had, I met with the state fire marshal from Atlanta and with a couple of my elders, and, and I met with the guy, and he was just negative, negative. No, you can't do a school here. You, the, the codes are different. You can't do this. You would never be able to use the second floor. Uh, you would never. You'd have to seal that off, not go up there. I said, well, can I put, if I bought it, can I put file cabinets and desk and stuff for the supply? He said, Pastor, listen to me. You, you can't go up there, period. You'd have to seal the stairwell. You understand me? Okay, okay. Ease up, bro. Just asking. And so it was such negative, and I had one of my elders who was a builder. He said, Pastor, I don't think this, this don't not sound good at all. I said, okay. And so I said, well, I'm going to leave. He said, well, I'm going to stay here and talk to this guy because I've got to get him to prove some other stuff I'm building on. And, uh, but he said, we'll, you know, we'll talk later. So I drove back over to our church. I pulled up, and I'm not discouraged. I'm just saying that's not the spot to have the school in. I'm going to look for another one. And as soon as I got out of my truck to walk to the church door, I opened the door, and I heard that same voice. You know that same voice that said, go to Leonard's Christian family? I heard that voice say, God said, what are you doing? I stopped. I literally stopped in my tracks. He said, go back to the school. God called it a school, y'all. It wasn't even a school then. But the God already said it's a school. He said, go back to the school. What would you do? I got right back in that truck. I drove right back over that interstate, and I pulled back up, and that elder that's a builder was sitting there with that fire marshal discussing some of his personal stuff, and they they both stopped and and said, what are you doing back? I said, well, well, I just want to talk to that guy one more time. And I said, y'all go ahead and finish your stuff, and I want to talk. I'm telling y'all this is the truth. When I walked back in that building, it was like I walked in a different atmosphere. When I walked back in and they got through, that, that state fire marshal come to me and he said, Pastor, you know, when you left, he said, I got to thinking about several things. And he said, I believe you can do this and this, and you could have school here if you wanted to. He said, you, can, you would need to move the hallway uh, 12 inches, you know, and widen it. And uh, I looked at uh, my builder, Steve. I said, Steve, can you move that uh, uh, wall? I got hallway. T-. He said, i move it 13 inches. How about that for you? And I said, okay. And I said, all right, we'll take care of that. And he said, we well, can do this and that. And I said, well, what about the upstairs? And he said, no, I told you about the upstairs. You won't be-. I said, okay. We went ahead and remodeled the whole bottom floor, got it ready for the kids, moved the hall, remodeled the rooms, and then I got a call before we even had our grand opening from the State Fire Marshal, and he called me and he said, Pastor Young, I wanted to call you myself to give you the news that the state of Georgia, through the legislative process, have changed the laws on the fire code, and you can use that second floor of that (laughs) building to have your school in up there. He said, "You'll just need to provide a certain certain type fire escape uh, uh, exit, and I'll need to check it off." But he said, "You're going to be fine." I hung up and I said, "God, you changed the law for us. You know, changed the law for us. It's amazing what will happen if you just take a step toward what's in your heart that God." And you know what? That school is still going today. Now it's not called Cornerstone Christian Academy, but it's called. Cook Christian Academy, and it's now where I went to high school. The old high school, that's where they meet. And now over a hundred kids, a hundred plus kids, after all these many years, and that was around, two, so it's been, uh, what, 20, uh, around, we had it in around 2000, so yeah, so we're 20 years. That school, and it's the only Christian school in that county, uh, really. And, 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 and it, so many children are being blessed. And, and my youngest son told me the other day, he said, and Abel, my little grandson, my youngest, he's just going to start school uh, next year. He's in preschool now. And and my oh, my youngest grown son, he said, I'm going to uh, put Abel in the, acad- in, the, in the academy. And so Abel's going go to go to the school that his poppy started out of obedience to the Lord, and God has sustained that, and he's kept that, and it's a blessing. And and, and what we did, when we got ready to sell it and get rid of it, my heart was so wrapped up in that. I told those teachers, I said, y'all form your own board of education here, school board. Y'all form your own stuff. And I said, and I'm going to let you stay in this building for another year. And Keith knows everything I'm saying is true. I said, I'm going to let you stay here rent free. I'm going to give you X number of $1,000 a month just to help you. And I said, I'm going to give you every computer in this room, in this building. I'm going to give you, because every child had their own computer. I'm going to give you every computer. I'm going to give you, and we bought all brand-new furniture. We didn't go buy junk. We bought brand-new school desks. We bought brand-new uh, supplies. We, we had 18 employees there. I had 18 employees. I said, I'm going to give you everything in here. When you all move out of here and you go into your own place, every, everything in here belongs to you to keep the school going. Now, finances hit, and the economy crashed. 07, 08. And my heart was so big, I, I couldn't give them, the money wasn't in the church to give them that, I think it was a couple thousand dollars a month or something like that, that I, was gonna, I wanted to be able to give them, plus no, no rent. I had bought a brand new 72-pasture, flat nose school bus, dual air conditioner tinted windows for our youngins, because God's kids deserve the best. And I, and I raised the money for it in three Sundays and paid cash for it in Atlanta at the Bluebird Place. By God's grace. And I remember I drove to Atlanta and, and, and got that thing. And uh, I even got my own bus license too where I could drive it, because I wanted to drive that bad boy. And I remember on sometime I would tell the teachers, they was like, Pastor, you too busy to do. I said, I want y'all to call me. I want to drive it and carry y'all on a field trip somewhere. So I drove them all the way to the fair one year up there, the state fair. I was driving that bus, boys. Just just it was just it was just God. I knew it was God. It was all paid for, but when I couldn't hold my word to that school who, who wasn't under our control, but I went over to that teacher, to the administrator, and I'm done after this. I said, listen, I said, I promised y'all X number of dollar for 12 months. I said, we don't have it. I mean, we, we just don't, it's, it's, you know, we just don't have that kind of money for you know, the economy crash. People are not giving as they gave in the past, but I tell you what I am going to do so that you won't come up any short. I said, I'm going to give you this brand-new bus out here. I said, I got the title in my hand. Now, it was almost tears in my eyes, and my youth pastor was kind of mad at me because he wanted to keep it. But I signed that title over to that school, and I gave it to them and walked away. They turned around and sold it to the Cook County Board of Education, and I'd be going down the road, and I'd see that bus. Now, and part of my heart was a little sad because I said, that's supposed to be hauling other kids. But, they, you know, they had to do what they had to do. Now, most people in that county wouldn't even say boo to me. I don't mean this out of hurt. Maybe it is. But I'm just saying you got to do what God's called you to do. You may not ever get any credit. I've never been invited back. I've never been acknowledged as the founder of the school. I've never received any kind of uh, acknowledgement that I even had anything to do with it. Me and Papa know, though. Me and Papa know. And it gives me great peace. And I'm thankful that my little grandson will walk those halls. He wouldn't be able to walk that and go there if I hadn't obeyed that prompting of the Lord. You never know where it will lead. You may help one family, and that be the end of that. Or you may go into a whole ministry endeavor in that area. You may start something that God will have you do full time. I've watched Pastor Keith in the, in the, with the House of Grace. All those things. You never know where God's leading you to do it. But do that thing that God's prompted. I want you to stand to your feet. Now, they went a little overtime on me today, and I'm so glad. And I went a little overtime on you, but we're going to survive. And don't get mad. Come back next Sunday, and I'll try to get you out by 12. But today just wasn't that day. Okay? Now, this is the question. Are you willing to use your willingness I want to see a hand. It, don't, wait a wait, minute. Wait wait, wait, Before you just churchy throw it up, I'm serious. Are you willing to use your willingness for what God's called you to do? I, if you are, I want you to raise your hand. Man, I like that brother, boy, he throwed his. Uh, like, like I mean for real, I'm, I'm willing. I cannot wait to hear of what God's going to use you to do. All God is wanting is you just to be willing. That's all. That's all he needs. He don't need your money. He don't need all. He just needs you to be willing. Nehemiah started crying. And the king recognized your tear and he said, why are you so sad, bro? He said, I just got a report from my, my Jewish people. They're suffering. Walls are down. Gates burned. Not enough food. This is what the king said. What do you want to do? See, some of you ain't never thought that the king might ask you that. What do you want to do? He said, well, I want to go, king, and rebuild the walls, rehang the gates, and rebuild the city. And I want you to pay for it. In a roundabout way, that Persian king is the one that burned it down. In other words, I want you to pay for what you destroyed, but not in a redemptive or or a retaliatory way, I just want you to help, I want you to finance this. A Persian king who does not believe in Yahweh God, but I want you to build the city, the city of David. I want you to pay for it. And I want letters of authority, and I want an army to go with me to protect me, and I want the ability to cut down trees in the forest of Lebanon. And I want you to empower me to fulfill what I feel on the inside. I want to do more than cry about it. I want to do something about it. And the king said, "Go. And here's the papers. And here's the money. And here's the thought." King said, "When you think he'll come back?" I said, "I'm not sure, King." He was the governor of Nehemiah for 30 years in that province, and it all started with a tear run down his face when he heard bad news. What injustice is God calling you to? We can make a difference in this area, wherever you're from, wherever you live. Whatever city. I I don't know what it's going to look like. The the list would be too long for me to try to give examples of everything possible. But it can be something as simple as just helping feed somebody, bomb something. I I still get these people. I don't know what, what kind of sign is on my head. But I'm the gas pump preacher. And I meet people at the gas pump. And they come up to me and says, excuse me, sir. Could you help me? Just, could you help me? Now it's just, I just smile when it does, because it's got where it's happening so regularly now. I guess because I'm out f- fueling up so many places. And I'll call my wife, she keeps up check, checkbook, you know, and I'll say, well, this, this, and, and then, you know, and then it'll be this much because I'll fuel up another guy. Does that make you great? No. But I've watched people cry. I've watched two people in Valdosta with tears run down their face because I just filled up their tank. Man, if $25 will make you cry, and then they were praising God for it. And they didn't even know I was a preacher, and I didn't tell them I was one. I just said, man, I remember this one lady. She said, I'm just trying to get back to me. I said, I don't know what's going on in your life, but I know God's providing for you right here. And if he'll provide for you at this gas pump, I said, he's going to provide for you when you get back up there. Now, listen, if God will speak to me on behalf of a woman from Bulgaria to help her, don't you think God can speak to somebody and say, help you, hire you, promote you, bless you, give to you? I mean, don't you believe that? Because that's exactly what, what, what this this is the year you got before you. Now, I want you to do something with it. I want, you to, I want you to say, God, what have you called me to do? If I read you what I read to the, the people at the funeral yesterday that Vicki wrote on her own Facebook page. She, she wrote down, she said, ten things I want to, to let you know I'm, why I'm, that I'm thankful for. She said, I've got so much. And she was dying with stage four cancer. And she was in the throes of that cancer. And, she, and one of her statements was, that I thank you, God, that you've allowed me to pray for other people and not focus only on my own problems. And I tell you one thing that she did after hours of conversations I've had with her over the three years: she never one time doubted God's goodness or His love for her. She didn't understand a lot of things, and she would have liked to have been healed, but she never doubted. She said, "Either way, I'm 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 good." God's got me, either way. God's called you to do something. Might be volunteering, might be giving, it might be helping, it might be serving. Might be volunteering at the crisis pregnancy center. We, 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 options now. I think it's the new name for it, isn't it? Options now. It may, I, I don't know what it is. There's something that bothers you when you see it. Do something about it this year. Don't just cry. Move to to action. One more time, how many is willing to use your willingness? Father, you see their hands and you see their hearts. Lord, I pray you would declare and speak to them. Use them mightily for your kingdom glory and for the benefit of this world and your people that you care for. God, let them bless the poor. Let them heal the sick. Let them raise the dead. Let them cast out devils. Let them do the things of the kingdom of God. Let them go forth in the land as mighty ambassadors. And the part, Lord God, that you have called them to play, let them fulfill that beyond measure. God, let them be so blessed by what they watch you do through them. In the mighty name of Jesus, we de- declare it, we prophesy it, we proclaim it, Father, that they may do the works of the kingdom of God and that men may mark them as your ambassadors, that they may see your glory and experience your kingdom. And know your love, grace, and mercy through your body in Jesus' name. God bless you. I love you, Grace Point. Amen. Y'all come back next Sunday, okay? We love you. God bless you.